What's really going on between Israel and Palestine? My guest today, senior editor at large at Newsweek, Josh Hammer, is here to tell us all about it. He's going to take us through some of the history of the Jewish state, and he is also going to uh, give us some insight into what is really going on, help us separate fact from fiction, as well as discuss how this conflict is affecting relations here in the United States. A lot going on. We're not going to be able to get to it all today. I also want to make sure that I give you my own uh, Christian perspective and also talk about this from a theological uh, standpoint, an eschatological standpoint. We're not going to be able to get into that today. Hopefully, we'll be able to do that next week. So today, we're going to look at the politics of it, a little bit of uh, the history of it, and um, hopefully, you're going to learn a lot. I learned a lot from Josh, as I always do. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Good to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. Josh, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, so as my listeners and viewers know, I have been on maternity leave, so we really haven't had the opportunity to talk about what's going on in Israel. So I want to back up to October 7th, everything that happened that day. Now, a lot of people might be thinking, well, the Middle East is always erupting in some kind of violence. Why is this any different? Why is October 7th so much bigger, so much more monumental to people here in the United States than any of the other days of violence that we hear about going on in the Middle East? Yeah, Ali, it's hard to believe that it's been over a month now. I mean, yeah. it feels like it, it, it was just yesterday. I mean, you know, you and I were talking off camera before we got rolling here. I'm, I'm getting married in five weeks and uh, I'm getting married to um, my, my fiance, soon be wife, is, is, is very Israeli. She was born there. Her oldest brother actually lives in the city of Netivot, which is like three to four miles from Gaza. Um, mm. So, you know, this hit home. In a very personal way, um, and in many ways, kind of the, the, the painful memories of, of that initial weekend are very much still fresh there. I, I think it's different from a lot of other Middle Eastern conflicts for, for many different reasons. One is, you know, a lot of the conflicts, as, as horrific as they are from a humanitarian perspective, and, and to be clear, many of these conflicts are, are truly horrific. I'm thinking here of the civil war in Yemen over the past seven, eight, nine years between mm -hmm. the Houthi rebels, which are backed by Iran, and then the Saudi-backed government there. I'm thinking of the civil war in Syria from Bashar al-Assad, a total madman that has resulted in, in an astronomical number of deaths, roughly half a million or so. A lot of these are, are sectarian conflicts that really kind of do pertain, I think, to the broader Muslim world. You know, Sarah Palin back in the day, not a name that we invoke very often anymore, but back in the day, she was commenting in the Syrian civil war and she kind of had a, a funny snarky quip. She basically said, let Allah sort it out. And for many of these mm. kind of sectarian conflicts, there's actually a lot of truth to that position. Not all of these actual tragedies really do directly implicate the United States national interest. However, when you have 1400 Israelis murdered, murdered in cold blood by a US EU internationally recognized terrorist organization, which is Hamas. Hamas is indistinguishable from Al Qaeda, ISIS, any other kind of genocidal Islamist death cult. They make very clear what they stand for in their 1988 founding charter, where they call for the annihilation of Israel, the death of all Jews, and ideally the death of all infidels. That's the term that the radical jihadists use to refer to Jews, Christians, really anyone who is not of their particular persuasion. When you have 1,400 Israelis murdered, thousands more injured, and 240-ish hostages taken, by the way, at least 15 to 20 of whom are United States citizens, thus making this on its own terms the largest United States American hostage crisis, at least since the 1979 Tehran hostage crisis after the mullahs rose up to take power and depose the Shah back in Tehran. This is a really big deal for the United States here. Israel is obviously one of our closest allies in the world for many different reasons. We work with them extraordinarily closely when it comes to intelligence, security. I mean, essentially any two ways that or any ways that two countries can be close to one another. We have that relationship with Israel. So it's a very big deal. It is obviously a monumental tragedy for Israel, which is a very small country. 
1,400 Israelis dead as a proportion of the Israeli population translates to almost 50,000 dead Americans. So, you know, you know, do the math. That's like 16 9-11s if you really want to kind of go to an apples to apples comparison here. But again, the fact that many American citizens were killed, the fact that at least 15 to 20 Americans, possibly more than that, are currently held hostage, and the fact that we have such a close relationship with Israel really does make this, I think, a profoundly American issue in many ways. Also, by the way, Ali, we, you know, there's been a number of attacks of, on American military bases in Iraq and Syria over the past few weeks from Iranian-backed militias. Iran, of course, being the head of the snake. They fund Hamas. They fund Hezbollah. They fund a lot of these Shiite militias in Iraq that are attacking U.S. soldiers and Marines stationed there in the Middle East. So, you know, unfortunately, some level of, of U.S. involvement, you know, obviously falling well short of boots on the ground, but some level of U.S. involvement here, unfortunately, I think is necessary. Mm. On October 7th, the images that I saw were of these uh, paragliders, Hamas, flying into a concert, right? Flying into a music festival, landing on the ground there, murdering people, raping women, and then murdering them. That's what the eyewitness testimony tells us. What's been unbelievable to me, and we can put up some of the images on YouTube when we have them, but um, is actually seeing that paraglider used here in the United States by some radical uh, professors, by uh, some progressives as a symbol of liberation, like the outline of a paraglider, like a symbol of resistance, of oppression, and of colonial power. So it seems like some people are outright saying that that attack on October 7th and everything that it entailed, the horrific raping of women, the murder of innocent concert goers, was actually justified in the name of resisting the oppression of Israel. And I know that the people here on the left, that they've got wild ideas. I understand that, that they're extremely violent in a lot of ways. I even was shocked by that. I was shocked that there were professors, people willing to stand up and say, yeah, that paragliding attack on October 7th on Israel, totally justified. I mean, what do you think about that? You know what it reminds me of, Ali, actually? It kind of reminds me of the abortion issue in some ways, because mm -hmm. back in the 1990s, the Democrats were ostensibly the Clintonian party of so-called safe, legal, and rare. Then at some point over the last decade or so, there was a book, I think her name was Catherine Pollitt, who wrote this book, Shout Your Abortion. It became less of a safe, legal, and rare thing than a positive good, to kind of use the language that John C. Calhoun would have used to refer to slavery. It was kind of something to be proud of, to promote. And that might not seem apropos to our current conversation, but I think it's actually highly relevant because the conversation on the left when it comes to Israel, the Palestinian conflict, and frankly, just Hamas, which again is indistinguishable from ISIS. It is a US-EU recognized terrorist organization. And the conversation on that has shifted from calls for a so-called two-state solution, the Barack Obama proposal of, oh, go back to the 1967 lines, the lines before the Six-Day War, which, like all of Israel's wars, was a defensive war. The Arabs started that. But at that time, it was at, it was still somewhat of an academic debate as to whether this so-called two-state solution with the Palestinian Arabs ought to happen. And just as the abortion debate has shifted from the relative safe ground of safe, legal, and rare to shout your abortion, so too, as the radical left's violent approach on the Palestinian conflict shifted from the more defensive posture of Israel should make more territorial concessions, two-state solution, all of that, to now they are shouting their abortion, so to speak. They mm -hmm. are openly defending the genocide of the Jews of Israel. And frankly, not just the Jews of Israel, but actually just the Jews all around the world. If you know, if the folks are right. listening to the to the shouts for extermination, the, the 1930s era Germany shouts to gas the Jews that we are increasingly seeing on Ivy League university campuses. I mean, you know, Ali, I don't have words for this stuff. I, I mean, it's true that the American university campus has been replete with total radicals for a very long time. That's old hat, right? It's been going on for, for decades and decades. And the same way that in the late 1960s, you, you saw some campus radicals fall in love with folks like Angela Davis and all right. these kind of edgy far left figures with kind of checkered uh, rap sheets and criminal history. So too now has the paraglider replaced the Angela Davis era 1960s logo. But 
it, 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 I mean, to call this disgusting and depraved, I think, would be an understatement. I mean, like you, I mean, I, I follow this issue very closely for a whole host of reasons. I have personally been surprised at just how disgusting large swaths of the far left have been. It really kind of caught me off guard. I, I have not seen this level of open support for a U.S. recognized terrorist organization in a very long time. And you really fundamentally, Ali, I think you kind of have to ask yourself, the same people that are calling Israel a, a colonialist, which is obviously farcical and nonsensical on its own terms, you're a Christian, you know the history of the Holy Land, the Jews are obviously the indigenous people. So that argument falls on its face. But you, ha you, you have to wonder that if these, these same people, they're calling Israel a colonializer or an imperialist, whatever, they had it coming to them. I mean, would these people also defend 9-11 on the exact same grounds that America had it coming because we stole American Indian land and then they should support the jihadist organization? The answer, honestly, is probably it's yes. Probably yes. And yeah. Yeah. It's terrifying, though. Simply terrifying. Yeah. And I, I just want to read. So uh, this was tweeted out uh, from Israeli author Hin Mazig, which I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but a lot of people probably follow him. And um, he released in uh, a testimony that was released by the Israeli police from a girl who survived the October 7th massacre. And this is really disturbing. And I almost hesitate to read it. But I think that there are a lot of people out there who I've just seen um, equivocate and kind of uh, say that, you know, both sides are equally bad. Both sides need to be equally condemned. That Israel is the same as Hamas. The same things are happening. I just want to read you what happened. According to this eyewitness testimony on October 7th, this is one of the most disturbing things I've ever read. So this is a girl saying about her friend, I saw the Palestinians bending her down, raping her and simply passing her on to the next. She was alive when they raped her. She was on her feet and bleeding from her back. He pulled her hair. He shot her in the head while raping her. Didn't even lift his pants. They cut her breast off and played with it. They just carried around someone's head as if showing strength, walked with it like a bag. So when you see professors, there was a, a resident at Vanderbilt that I saw Libs of TikTok put out. She um, put out the 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 post that this resident had posted on uh, on Instagram and then who this person was. And when I can scroll down to the name, I'll tell you who it was. But um, she had the the logo or the outline, the silhouette of the paraglider and under it the text resistance by any means necessary. So when I see that phrase, which I've seen at these um, protests around the world, resistance by any means necessary, to me, they are condoning, they are justifying, maybe even celebrate, uh, celebrating and glorifying that horrific account that I just told you. They are celebrating the rape, the murder of women, the murder of children in their beds, that's something else that we have heard from eyewitness testimonies happening. That's what they're saying is good, is justified. Any means necessary to resist this quote unquote colonial power. You're talking about the horrific rape of women that these people are saying that's fine and dandy to them. Uh, Ali, you cannot be more spot on. Um, you know, resistance by any means necessary means resistance by any means necessary. I mean, if you are so deluded in the head to think that Israel is kind of the quintessence of all evil, the same way that the Nazis viewed the Jews as the quintessence of all evil, if you have that warped, distorted, and frankly evil of a mindset, then it logically follows that you're going to end up supporting Nazi-esque ends. If you, if you accept the ideology of Nazism or its modern day equivalent, which is radical Islamism, radical Islamic terrorism, jihadism, you know, the Islamist Reich, frankly, has just replaced the Third Reich. If your head is that messed up, then you're going to end up supporting genocide. You're going to end up supporting extermination. I mean, it's happening everywhere. I mean, on the campus of George Washington University, a school with a very large Jewish population a few weeks ago, the pro-Palestinian group on the side of the library projected in massive letters, glory to our martyrs. I mean, wow. this is li this is literally the rhetoric of the Hamas Youth League. It's happening on this was in the, uh, the nation's capital It's in Washington, D.C. You know, Russell Rickford, a Cornell University professor, Ivy League professor earlier in the conflict, had this speech where he said he found what happened exhilarating. He literally said that it was exhilarating to see exactly what you just read, the, you know, these women being raped. 
I mean, just to kind of paint another picture, and this is maybe the last, you know, uh, graphic depiction, because enough is enough already, but it's probably just worth emphasizing. You know, I'll, I'll say, just say one other story, if I may. I have a good friend by the name of Johnny Daniels who's very involved in Holocaust remembrance organizations. And, you know, he heard this other story from one of the kibbutzim, the settlements near the, the Gaza border, where the Hamas jihad has infiltrated the home. They put a gun in a man's mouth as they tied his hands behind his back. While he was still alive, they then put the couple's baby in an oven, turned on the oven. They then took the woman, they raped her, they then murdered the woman, all this before in front of the man's eyes, and only after he had witnessed all of that, pulled the trigger to kill him. This is the kind of people that we're dealing with. I mean, I don't have words, Ali, I really don't, to describe these level of actions, to call these actions equivalent to animals and barbarians, I think would be doing a disservice to animals and barbarians. This is the most disgusting stuff in the world. You know, mm. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, who was heavily involved in the US campaign against ISIS in Iraq, he was there in Israel a week or two after October 7th. He said that what he saw was worse than ISIS, worse than ISIS. Again, I just don't have words for this stuff. Okay, let me take a quick pause from that conversation to tell you about our first sponsor, and that is Every Life. This is the only premium baby brand that is unapologetically pro-life. I have been using Every Life uh, diapers since my last baby was born. I can attest to the fact that I really, really like them. They are high quality, made with really good ingredients. Plus, I love that I am supporting a company that actually supports uh, unborn life, that supports and believes in the dignity of preborn babies. Babies. The values-aligned marketplace for pro-life and pro-family products is growing, and at Every Life, they are changing the nation one diaper at a time. So head to everylife.com, use promo code Ali10 to get 10% off your first order today. That's everylife.com, code Ali10, everylife.com, code Ali10. What do you say to people? And it's, I mean, I hate even asking, but I know that there are people out here saying this. I've seen it on Twitter. I've seen it a lot, even from maybe people who profess to be conservatives. But they say, how do we know? You know, how do how do we know that's true? Which is, of course, is a fair question about anything. How do we know anything is true? We should always test and verify things. But people saying that that's not true, that Hamas wouldn't do something like that, that that's all propaganda coming out of Israel. Like, what do you what do you say to that? Well, for starters, Hamas sent a lot of videos into the open. They literally executed this one Holocaust survivor grandmother execution style on her knees and then uploaded the video yes. to the grandmother's own Facebook, Facebook feed. So, yeah. you know, the, the, the Nazis, Ali, the Nazis prefer typically to try to hide evidence of their crime. So, for example, I was in Treblinka in Poland uh, about two and a half years ago or so. It's maybe an hour, hour and a half outside of Warsaw. Treblinka was the second deadliest camp for the Jews in, in occupied Poland after Auschwitz. So I think roughly a million Jews uh, met their maker, met, met God there, tragically. And, you know, the Nazis ended up covering up their tracks. There's actually not a whole lot left of the actual infrastructure at Treblinka because the Soviets were coming in from the eastern front. The Nazis, is what I'm trying to say, is they tried to cover up what they did. Hamas, no such thing. They streamed it literally for the world. They were in GoPro cameras. I mean, the paragliders who, who flew in to murder 240 civilians there in that music festival near the Gaza border were literally wearing GoPro cameras as they had machine guns just trying to take down and shoot anyone on the ground they could. They had no compunction whatsoever. What's more than that, you know, the Israeli government has offered essentially to show the raw footage to any journalist out there who actually wants to see it. I, I have not watched it. I think I would be sick to my stomach, frankly, but I, I, I do have a, I know a lot of people who have watched it. And I think that anyone who works in the media business who wants to see the raw footage, that option is currently on the table. So. There's really not a whole lot um, to these claims. I think, frankly, the people that are asking, oh, you know, did they really behead babies? Well, you know, I guess I would ask this. Let's say they didn't actually behead the baby. Let's say that the baby's head was not just rolling around on the ground, but they actually just shot the baby point blank in the head. I mean, does that, that actually better? make it better? Exactly. Is that really the hill you want to die on? 
And I mean, do they have a moral limit? Why wouldn't they? Of course, it's fine to ask, is something true? Is anything true? But I think that from what we know absolutely to be true, as you said, through the materials that they themselves have published, it's easy to deduce that they would stop at nothing. There's no amount of cruelty that I think they say, that's just a little too far. Ooh, that one's just, that's too much. Or that baby is too small. Or that person is too old. Or that woman is too frail. Obviously, there's not really a moral limit. And I want to go back to something that you said earlier, that it's not really just Israel, that this really does seem like an attack on Jews around the world. And I know some people try to separate, okay, it's just anti-Zionism, it's not anti-Judaism, but that's not what I'm seeing at these protests. That's not what I'm seeing on college campuses. As you know, at Cornell, uh, the students in the the kosher, uh, the kosher cafeteria there had to hide. There uh, were students in Cooper Union huddled in the library to escape an angry crowd pounding on the doors. This is according to the New York Times. A protester at a rally near New York, uh, New York University carried a sign calling for the world to be kept, quote unquote, clean of Jews. Um, and and then, as you mentioned, George Washington University, glory to our martyrs was projected um, on, a, on a building. And so I'm actually saying that Jews everywhere, no matter if they're liberal or conservative, no matter who they voted for, no matter if they categorize themselves as Zionists, that they're all being put into the same category. And it's not just Israelis. And like you said, it's Jews everywhere. It's Jews here um, that they are fearing for their lives, that they can't even go to class in safe for fear of the Muslim and Muslim sympathizing students there, many of them, who are attacking them and harassing them and chasing them down. So, I mean, this is much bigger than just, oh, just a Middle Eastern conflict. I mean, we're already seeing the collateral damage of that conflict here. Ali, one of the terms that you hear from these far left Hamas supporters, Hamas sympathizers, whatever you want to call them, they like the term globalize the intifada. That is one of their favorite terms. And sure enough, that is what is happening. The intifada, the war against the Jewish state and by extension, the Jewish people. And then ultimately after the Jewish people, if you really want to subscribe to jihadist ideology, the war against, once again, all infidels. It's currently being waged throughout America and all throughout the world. I mean, we saw... Paul Kessler, who was a, a, a Jewish man who was essentially counter-protesting a pro-Palestinian rally, he was murdered. He, he was murdered in Ventura County, California earlier this week. Uh, you know, some people are calling it a homicide. I, I think they're still waiting for all the details. But, mm-hmm. but based on everything that we based on everything that we've seen, it looks a heck of a lot like a murder. Mm-hmm. We've seen any number of other examples of this. I mean, just the other day, I was looking at a jewelry store on 40, I think it was on 42nd Street, right in the heart of Manhattan in New York City. It was a Jewish-owned, uh, it might have been Israeli, I don't remember. It was a Jewish-owned jewelry store, totally vandalized, windows smashed, like crystal knocked in Germany all over again for literally no other reason than the fact that this is a Jewish-owned businesses. You know, speaking from personal experience, Ali, where I live here in South Florida, there's a very large Jewish population, Every time you you go around here, whether it's to a synagogue, a kosher restaurant, Jewish community center, any kind of Jewish infrastructure, I have never seen this level of security in my life. There there are cops yeah. everywhere, which which is a, which is a good thing, by the way. Credit to Governor DeSantis, credit to our local authorities for being on, on top of this. But I think every Jew that I have spoken with over the past month is starting to ask some really difficult questions. You know, I think American Jewry, the American Jewish population, for you know, call it 50, 60 years after the Holocaust. That was kind of the golden age of Jewish life in America. America and the world at large was still stuck, was still kind of suffering pangs of guilt from what had happened in mm-hmm. the Shoah, in the Holocaust there. But the memory has started to fade. The last generation of Holocaust survivors is now starting to pass away tragically. And you've also had this rise of a far left militant intersectional identity politics ideology that says that the Jews are an oppressor class and this intersectional Olympics game, the Jewish state is a colonizer. All this stuff and then you kind of add a more fuel to the fire and you have kind of increasing secularism you know the christians in america who are of course the jews best friends you know declining church attendance it's this really kind of combustible mix of things unfortunately that is now seeping wide out into the open before you know for everyone to see and it, it ultimately is not about Israel. It really is not. I mean the notion that it's so-called anti-Zionism is not the same thing as anti-Semitism was always a lie. It was always a lie based on the U.S. State Department's own definition 
of anti-Semitism, but it has never, ever, ever been shown to be more alive than it than it has over the past month, because whether it's the Cooper Union fiasco, mm-hmm. which was something that I don't think I've ever seen in my life. Ali, these Jewish students in Cooper Union, the library, had to be evacuated by the NYPD via underground tunnel. I, this is happening in New York City, for God's mm-hmm. sake. This is the city with the largest Jewish population in, in the world. I mean, including Jerusalem, Tel Aviv. I mean, New York City is a ton of Jews there, obviously. And there are being a it's, it's just awful stuff. I mean, it's frankly stuff that I just never, ever thought that I would ever see in my entire life. And it's profoundly saddening. And unfortunately, we have no choice but to fight back to the best of our abilities. Yep. Um, Again, according to the New York Times, at Columbia, an Israeli student was physically assaulted on campus. Near Tulane, a Jewish student's head was bashed with a pole of a Palestinian flag after he attempted to stop protesters from burning in an Israeli flag. And then students at Cornell, which we just talked about, live in fear that their peers will actualize anti-Semitic threats. The term Zionist and colonizer have evolved into epithets used against uh, Jewish students. Um, uh, Ron DeSantis, Governor Ron DeSantis, had an interesting suggestion for what he would do if there was a student here on a student visa who joined in these genocidal protests calling for harassment and the death of Jews. Um, here's what he had to say. When the blood wasn't even dry on the Israelis who had been massacred, you had people in America going out protesting in favor of Hamas. Yes. And that's like very chilling. Some of these people are not U.S. citizens. They're student visas. So as president, if you're on a student visa and you're a foreigner and you're out there celebrating terrorism, I'm canceling your visa and I'm sending you home. I mean, I love it. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely love this. Um If you are not a U.S. citizen, if you are here in a visa, then you are ultimately here at our good grace. Yeah, Um, there there is nothing whatsoever. The, The sovereign, which is the United States in this context, the sovereign has the complete and absolute power to kick out anyone who is not a citizen at any time for any reason. You know, as Justice Scalia argued many times, probably most vividly in a 2012 case called U.S. versus Arizona. That, that is inherent in the right to sovereignty. Um, you know, your colleague at, at, at Blaze Media, Ali Daniel Horowitz, has written about this at great length in articles over the years as well. You can kick out anyone who is not a citizen at any time, no matter what the statute says, no matter what the regulation says. It, again, it is inherent in the very notion of sovereignty. I, I actually would probably go even further than that. This is where I might lose some people who are even kind of sympathetic to, you know, to, to my argument and on my side. But I would probably go even further than that. I think what you are dealing with here, Ali, you're dealing with the rise of a fifth column of, of subversive actors who despise mm. America, despise rallies, despise Western civilization at a level that we have not seen in this country in a very, very long time. It, it, it's really, in many ways, just profoundly disturbing because the global jihad, after the literal fall of the ISIS so-called caliphate, the actual territory in Iraq and Syria, a lot of us thought that this stuff was kind of on the decline. I mean, the Iranian regime, which is the most Islamist jihadist government in the world, has been, you know, they haven't been quiet, but they haven't been like super, super, super active over the past few years. Yeah, they fund Hezbollah here and there. So things on the jihadist front seem to be going relatively OK. And then this happens. And then we see the the people in Sydney, Australia, chanting to gas the Jews, the yeah. stuff happening in the streets of Chicago, Dearborn, Michigan. So the global jihad is here again. And the enemy is within us. There are monsters in our midst. And Unfortunately, our idiots through their, you know, globalist, liberal, open borders, immigration policies have brought a lot of this into this country. So I say all that as as kind of a preface to the fact that I fully support what Governor Sanders is proposing here for kicking people out on visas who are supporting U.S. recognized terrorist organizations. I I actually think that stripping citizenship and denaturalizing people for being open fifth column actors, openly calling for the destruction of America and our allies, openly supporting foreign terrorist organizations, I think that that should probably be on the table as well. There is some precedent for this. In the early part of the 20th century, we did this many times for for communist sympathizers. Um, That's kind of a whole can of worms that kind of gets into McCarthy and the Red Scare and all that there. But I think the situation is arguably dire enough for even stripping citizenship, depending on the specific person, that that probably should be on the issue uh, or should be on the table as well. But at a bare minimum, I think, for these student visas, yeah, that's a no-brainer for me. Okay, so Jess, I just want to clarify because there are certainly going to be people who are out there who say, Josh Hammer said that if you criticize Israel, then you shouldn't be an American citizen or you should be stripped of your citizenship. You're not talking about criticizing Israel. 
That's correct. No, I am I, I am talking here about people who have shown an open disdain and open abhorring for America and open support for U.S. recognized terrorist organizations, open violent Hamas supporters who say that they want to see the destruction of America, the destruction of Israel and our allies, not talking here about, you know, two-state solution, not even the people that are putting up these horrific, galling, depraved images of the paragliders trying to, to murder innocent people. I, I'm saying that if in a specific fact, specific case-by-case case incident, if your stance is radical enough where you are effectively calling for the annihilation of America to go back to kind of the 9-11, would you support 9-11 analogy there? I think that something like that probably should be on the table. Again, it would be a fact-specific inquiry. I'm not saying this should, be, this should happen in mass, but for the absolute worst of the worst, it probably should be an option. All right, let me tell y'all about the deal that Good Ranchers has going on right now, and that is the Black Friday Your Way sale. It's live this November. You get to pick your favorite meat to get free for a year. So you pick a year of free steak or salmon or chicken or bacon when you subscribe to any box right now. So go ahead and subscribe. You can use my code Ally. You'll get $15 off your subscription. And then you will also, just for the month of November, if you order, you will get a free box of meat for the year of your favorite kind of meat. It's going to be really tough for you to pick. I personally, I would probably go with beef because we probably eat that the most, but I don't know. The bacon is good. It just kind of, it depends. It depends on your family. All the meat is from America. You are supporting American farms and ranches, and you're also supporting a company that loves God and loves this country. So go to goodranchers.com. Use code Allie for $15 off any box, plus a year of your favorite meat for free. Goodranchers.com, code Allie. Goodranchers.com, code Allie. So just to just to bring it back, I said that there was a Vanderbilt uh, resident who was using this paraglider as a symbol of positive liberation. Her name was Dr. Aisha Khan. So as we've talked about, obviously, the rise, just the open, the open support of terrorist organizations, like you said, also the rise of anti-Semitism, just blatant, absolute shameless, not even trying to like nuance it or cover it up or even say, oh, I'm just anti-Zionist. I mean, you've just got people out here saying, clean the world of Jews. It's wild. It is scary. It's wild. Like you said, students having to uh, cower in the library at a university. It's crazy. And yet, Corinne Jean-Pierre, White House spokeswoman, uh, said this. She said a couple weeks ago, she said, we have not seen any credible threats, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then she says, but there are real dangers too, Islamophobia. So that apparently is the focus. And it's so much the focus that the vice president, Kamala Harris, she just announced just the other day of uh, the first ever U.S. national strategy to counter what? Antisemitism? No, Islamophobia. So here she is announcing that. As a result of the Hamas terrorist attack in Israel and the humanitarian crisis in Gaza, we have seen an uptick in anti-Palestinian, anti-Arab, anti-Semitic, and Islamophobic incidents across America. And so today, I am proud to announce the Biden-Harris administration will develop our nation's first national strategy to counter Islamophobia. Okay, so she did put anti-Semitic somewhere in there. She did embed anti-Semitism in there. But apparently the major focus right now is anti-Arab, anti-Palestinian hatred. Now, what's interesting about that is that in all of these rallies that I've seen, in all the protests that I've seen, those that are pro-Israel, I have never seen a sign in these pro-Israel protester rallies that says, cleanse the world of Muslims. I've never seen even a Palestinian flag on a sign in a trash can. I haven't seen Muslim students have to hide in their cafeteria or hide in their dorm rooms. I haven't seen uh, words, you know, projected on the side of a university that's basically calling for the genocide of Palestinians or Muslims. I haven't seen that at any pro-Israel rally. I haven't even seen any pro-Israel individual say anything that amounts to a call for a genocide or ridding the world of Muslims. And so tell us, tell us why this administration decides to focus on something which, in my opinion, is maybe the very least of America's worries. Yeah, Ali, you haven't seen what you just described because what you just described has simply not been happening. I mean, you know, I've been to many you know, pro-Israel rallies, pro-Israel community events. 
I, I have never heard or seen anything remotely resembling what what you just described. I mean, it, it, it's just it, it's just it's something that is frankly not happening. I think the most offensive part of those remarks that we just heard from Kamala Harris is where she cites Islamophobia as, you know, for far too long, this has been a disproportionate worry, a disproportionate form of hate crime in America. You know, we actually have statistics on this. The FBI Uniform Code of Justice, you know, they actually keep year in and year out uniform crime statistics. And we know that consistently, for as long as I've been following this, so it's at least five, six, seven years or so, year in and year out, the percentage of religiously motivated hate crimes in America that are committed against Jews is roughly 60%. So put another way, roughly every six out of 10 religiously based hate crimes in America is against Jews. It's roughly 10 to 12% are committed against Muslims. So literally taken on its face, there are at least five times as many hate crimes against Jews as there are against Muslims. So Kamala Harris, uh, I, I guess the polite way of saying it would be that she has no idea what she's talking about. The less polite way of saying it is that she is trying to gaslight you, is that she is trying to gaslight the American people. And she's trying to gaslight the American people in all likelihood for very self-serving, cynical, political reasons. At the very beginning of this conflict, Ali, there was that Tuesday after the attack you know, Joe Biden, to, to his credit, came out and gave a rhetorically very strong speech in, in, in defense of Israel. In fact, I know from some friends in Israel that, that that speech was so beloved over there, they actually started using it in, ele in elementary schools as a way to try to teach English to the students. Now, those of us who have been around the block for a little while knew not to take these words particularly particularly seriously. It was, you know, with those kind words comes a lot of strings attached. And we've now seen some of those strings over the past couple of weeks or so. But having said that, because of that strong initial rhetorical support, we've seen a lot of polls that the Muslim American support for Joe Biden has cratered over the past month. A lot of kind of the far left wing of the party, they've lost a lot of support. And there's a huge Arab population in Michigan. You know, Dearborn, Michigan, Hamtramck, Michigan are two suburbs of Detroit. I think that the town councils in those two towns are, uh, they might be predominantly, but I think they're actually exclusively Muslim controlled. Um, I'm, I'm actually speaking on this topic at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor next Thursday. It's a large Arab population. I'm, I'm working on security for the mm -hmm. event for that very reason. I say all that because Michigan is a very important swing state. You know, so is uh, potentially Minnesota, where that's where Illinois Mar is from. There's a large Somali population there. So I think that they're basically just doing damage control at this point. Corrine Jean-Pierre as well, very earlier in this conflict, Around the same time that Biden gave that that good speech, Karine Jean-Pierre, again, to her rare credit, probably the first time I've ever praised her in my life, <laughs> she referred to the words that were coming out from Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. She described their words at that time as disgraceful and repugnant. She's yeah. done a 180 as well. I mean, <laughs> most recently, she, she couldn't even openly condemn the taking down of these hostage posters. So the whole administration has done a, a, a very subtle 180 over the past couple of weeks. I think it's really driven by domestic political cons concerns. Biden's polling obviously is in the gutter. They're facing a very tough re-election next year. The very last thing that he can do is further alienate the Hamas caucus, the, the Muslim American community, young Gen Z activists who are passionate about the Palestinian cause, things like that. Yeah. And uh, Rashida Tlaib, she's obviously been in the news as well as Ilhan Omar, and she's being criticized for several things that she has said over the years. But recently, uh, reiterating this phrase, from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. Now, she says that is just that's just a motto of aspirational liberation, whatever. Tell us, what does that really mean? I mean, taken on its own terms, it's it's calling for the extermination of the Jews of Israel. I mean, look, I have been to the river and to the sea. I have been, you know, that's the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea. You know, it's that it's really not that wide of a country. The entire state of Israel, even including Judea and Samaria, what the world refers to as the West Bank, even including that, the whole country is basically the size of, of New Jersey. It's not a particularly large block of territory there. Look, the, the, the problem with this, uh, there are a lot of problems with the so-called Palestinian cause, but probably the number one problem, and this problem is exacerbated and perpetuated by the United Nations in many structural ways, is that they have never accepted the fact that there is a Jewish state. So in November 1947, the United Nations recommended a two-state partition for the land of Israel. It actually was carving up a very narrow sliver for the Jews, much narrower, ironically, than anything that is on the table today. 
The Jews happily said yes. The Arabs said no. Ben-Gurion then declares Israel independent in May 1948. The Arabs invade for all sides, trying to destroy it. This is what the Arabs and the Palestinians refer to as the so-called Nakba. This is what Rashida Tlaib will call the Nakba, which is Arabic essentially for the tragedies, the great tragedy. And when they speak of their right of return, they're speaking of their right to essentially repopulate and ultimately reconquer the entirety of the land of Israel. And what that means is that the Jews would not be safe there because there is no Arab country in the world right now where the Jews are safe. On the contrary, was in the late 1940s, early 1950s, where there was a mass exodus of roughly a million Jews who were living in the Arab world in countries like Egypt, Libya, Tunisia, and Iraq, who were kicked out of the Arab countries, essentially acting collusively in unison in response to the Nakba, in response to the founding of Israel. You know, my fiance's grandparents were part of this, actually. They had to flee Iraq around this time. They moved to Israel, naturally. And This history has just been totally lost on an entire generation, but the United Nations, they have a separate definition of what it means to be a refugee from war. They they literally have one definition under an organization called UNRWA for the Palestinian Arabs, an entirely separate definition for every other refugee in the world. Traditionally, what refugee means is that if you personally, if you personally are dissettled from the country where you were due to a war, then you are a refugee. But if you resettle another country, your children will then become citizens or, uh, you know, uh, or, or they're on a visa, whatever, in that particular country, your children will not be refugees. The UN has an entirely different definition of refugee for the people, the Arabs who were in Israel in 1948 when Israel was founded. According to the UN, the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, they're all refugees. To this day, there are Palestinian refugee camps in Syria, Lebanon, countries like that. And this is all because the entire mentality is that Israel is a mistake and that we're ultimately going to reconquer it. They're refugees because they're ultimately going to return. They're ultimately going to kick the Jews out. So that clearly and obviously is the end goal. Again, Hamas is not particularly subtle about this. Neither is the Palestinian Authority, which is based in Ramallah and the West Bank. Uh, they are oftentimes held out to be the so-called moderates when it comes to this conflict. Uh, yes, they, I guess they are incrementally more moderate than Hamas. That's frankly not saying a whole lot. Mahmoud Abbas, who chairs the Palestinian Authority, wrote a literal PhD dissertation on Holocaust denial. He was praising Hitler openly about two to two and a half months ago or so. They have the infamous pay for slave program where they fund the families of jihadists who are, quote unquote, martyrs who kill Israeli Jews. So this is all predicated upon the ultimate repopulating and reconquering of all of Israel from the river to the sea, which means that the Jews have no place to go but into the sea, proverbially speaking, which means that, that they will be killed. Okay, I am so excited to tell y'all about Brave Books. I've told you about them before. They're just they're just amazing. They are Uh, creating faith-based and values-based books for your kids to read. So unfortunately, a lot of the books these days have become political. You kind of have to buy books that were written a long time ago to ensure that they're not pushing some kind of ideology down your kid's throat, unless you know that the book is going to be aligned with the values and the principles that you have. And that's why Brave Books exist. They create these books that are teaching kids in a fun and creative and a very beautiful and God-glorifying way, the values that we want them to know. So go ahead and sign up for their subscription. This could be a really cute gift for your kid. I would say it's really great for kids, maybe between the ages of five and 10. It kind of ranges depending on the book, uh, the material. It's totally appropriate for any kid, but some of the concepts are a little bit more complex. And so I would say it's really good for about like second, third, fourth grade, but you're gonna love the books no matter how old your kids are. So when you subscribe, you get that new book every month. It's the Freedom Island Book uh, Book Club. Go to bravebooks.com. Use code Allie get, to get 20% off your subscription. Bravebooks.com. Use code Allie for 20% off your subscription. Bravebooks.com. Code Allie. So here's the narrative. 
or here's here's what we hear and here's what a lot of people I think are confused by because of course this is what they're hearing from their friends on Instagram and silly influencers and things like that that this that the Muslims the Palestinians are the ones who are indigenous to this land and they were there and they were living just peacefully and happily until 1948 and then Israel came along and stole their homes and kicked them out and killed them and their mothers and they created the state that's why they're called colonizers that's why they're even called uh you know, racist, white supremacists, all the things that we're kind of used to hearing about people, about people here, and that they have been exclusively oppressing poor Palestinians since the establishment of their state, and that they're, it's an apartheid state, that's what we keep hearing, um, and that they are on the side of the white colonizers and oppressors, and that is why Hamas exists, that Israel actually, that's what we hear, created Hamas, and Hamas is resistance, they're resistance fighters, and they're just trying to claim the land that's theirs, that was stolen from them. Um, that is what we keep hearing, and we keep hearing that Israel has only been an evil actor there, causing trouble, hurting the innocent people in Gaza. So what's what what's your response to that when that is someone's take on history and the idea that Israel has been oppressing the poor Muslims that live there? So there's a lot to unpack here, obviously. Um, Jews were living in the land of Israel for quite literally thousands of years. I mean, literally thousands of years before uh, Muhammad had his dream and Islam was created in the seventh century uh, A.D. Um, I, I mean, Jesus obviously was a Jewish carpenter living in the land of Israel. He was living approximately six to seven hundred years before Muhammad and Islam. So the Jews were there for a very long time. The word Jew literally comes from Judea, um, which refers to, you know, again, that's the so-called West Bank today. Um, and there was always a, a Jewish population there in the land of Israel, even, you know, even after the, the destruction of the Second Temple in the year 70, between the year 70 and the reestablishment of the state of Israel in 1948, almost 2000 years, there was a continuous Jewish population there. The Hebrew word for it is Ishuv. The Ishuv existed. There were always Jews living in Jerusalem. There were always Jews living in Hebron and Jericho and all the, the the cities that we learn about from the Bible. And yes, they were not living under Jewish rule, but they always, always existed there. Now, you know, for four to five hundred years, it was controlled by the Ottoman Empire. And then after World War One, the Brits essentially take control of the area. This is the, the British mandate for Palestine. The British mandate for Palestine was itself divided between the mandate for Transjordan, which is modern Jordan today, and the mandate for Palestine. Interestingly, Ali, this is all happening after World War One. The European powers carve up the Middle East. It's roughly 1920, the Sykes-Picot Agreement. The mandate for Transjordan, which again is Jordan today, was actually supposed to be the so-called Palestinian state. In fact, today, the country of Jordan is roughly 70% Palestinian. The reason that the king of Jordan, King Hussein, uh, made a very cold peace with Israel is not because he has any affinity for the Jewish state or the Jewish people, far from it. It's because he is a Hashemite. He is an ethnic minority in his own country, and he fears that he's going to be deposed. So that was how the arrangement was actually supposed to work. Now, again, going back to, to 1947, 27 years after the establishment of the Mandate for Palestine, the UN proposes this two-state partition that would give the Jews a tiny sliver of what they were initially promised. The Jews said yes, the Arabs said no. Now, the rest, as we all know, is history. And, you know, to give some just brief, more recent history than that, every time that Israel has ever tried, has ever tried to negotiate in good faith with the Palestinian Arabs, it has uh, quite quite literally blown up into their face. So the Oslo Accords in, in the mid-1990s resulted not long thereafter in the Second Intifada, which until October 7th was the bloodiest part of, of Israeli history. In 2005, Israel unilaterally withdrew from the Gaza Strip. There was a Jewish settlement there called Gush Katif. The IDF, the uh, Israeli military, physically uprooted the settlers. They actually physically removed the, the, the Jewish headstones and the cemeteries there. They took it all out to years later, Hamas wins a bloody civil war against Fatah and the Palestinian Authority. And yet again, tragically, the rest is history. There's been continuous war ever since. I, I, I'm just not sure, honestly, what else Israel is supposed to do. You know, traditionally speaking, Ali, going back to the beginning of human history, going back to the beginning of wars, wars end 
And the Palestinian Arabs still feel that they are at war against Israel. That was the whole point of our conversation about refugees and the two definitions of refugees and all that, the Nakba. They still think that they are at war against Israel. Traditionally in human history, wars end when one side wins and the other side loses. And I, for one, am hopeful that after the pogrom, the Hamas Holocaust of October 7, 2023, that Israel will once and for all deliver a decisive blow, a pummeling of Hamas, and thereby essentially put the Palestinians in a position where they are essentially begging for peace, because that's probably the only way that peace will ever be achieved. Yeah, and there's something I want to say to that, but a couple things uh, to know about the narrative that's been going on, that this is an apartheid state, that they're colonizers. I mean, all you have to do is look at a map. Look at a map of the area, and you'll see this one tiny Jewish state right in the middle of the Muslim world. These Muslim-majority countries which are wrought by violence and oppression, by the way, and then you have this one tiny Jewish state. If Jews in Israel are colonizers, then they're doing a really bad job. If they are the ones that are oppressing the Muslims, then they're doing a really bad job. I thought it was almost, I mean, in a sad way, laughable when I heard Ilhan Omar right after um, Rashida Tlaib spoke, she woke up or she uh, stood up and said uh, that Palestinians have a right to liberty. Of course, that's why they have a right, she says, to attack Israel. But even if Israel ceased to exist, even if that small little Jewish state was no longer a Jewish state there, Muslims wouldn't live in liberty. They don't live in liberty in any of those Muslim-majority countries. There's not freedom of speech there. There's not freedom of religion there. There's not tolerance of other views. There's not women's rights. They don't view people with innate dignity. And so by liberty, she just means the defeat of Israel. By resistance, they just mean defeating Israel. By liberation, by decolonization, they don't actually mean the alleviation of a or the liberation of Muslims. They don't give a rip about the Uyghur Muslims in China. They act, This is all just coding for the elimination of Israel and I think the hatred of Jews in general. And so they can use all of the, um, you know, critical theory language, progressive language that they want to about liberation. You're never going to convince me you care about liberation when they have nothing critical to say about the Muslims that are oppressed, enslaved, and murdered by the people that share their ideology that are in charge in all of those Muslim countries. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, another easy way of knowing that this has nothing to do with the actual Palestinian Arabs themselves and has everything to do with the Jews and the Jewish state, you know, every Arab country, all 20 to 25 of them around there from northern Africa, from Morocco to Sudan to the Arabian Peninsula, Iraq, Syria, they all could have ended this conflict with the snap of a fingers if they wanted to. These are massive countries. They could so easily absorb the Palestinian population if right. they wanted to in a second. Again, Jordan was supposed to be that. The, the, the mandate for Transjordan under the British mandate was literally supposed to be the, the Palestinian state. Egypt obviously could very easily do it as well. The Sinai Peninsula is very sparsely populated. Gaza literally connects to the Sinai Peninsula. Why has President al-Sisi in Egypt, he has been incredibly stubborn in refusing to let in any in anyone from Gaza, any any civilian for humanitarian purposes. He has not allowed in any refugees, last I checked. I mean, he's allowed some ambulances to go in and out to provide medical care, but no one really has been fleeing to Egypt. So, you know, why don't they actually want these people? Well, the answer is that it has nothing to do with these people, that these people, the Palestinians, are just useful tools for them in their ultimate war, and their war, as you correctly state, is to eradicate the state of Israel. Now, you know, you want to talk about apartheid. Look, uh, Arabs inside of Israel serve everywhere. You know, Israel is actually so committed to, you know, Western free speech, liberal values that on the floor of their legislature, which is called the Knesset, on the floor of the of the Knesset, there are Arab anti-Zionist parties elected to the Israeli parliament. In fact, I've, I've literally seen speeches on the floor of the Knesset where you have anti-Zionist Arab politicians speaking out against Zionism, which, you know, it effectively means calling for the annihilation of Israel. That is how absolutist Israel's commitment to free speech is. Frankly, I don't even think my own commitment to free speech <laughs> is actually is actually that absolutist where I would want congressmen to call for the destruction of the U.S. inside yeah. of the United States Capitol. I think that's insane, frankly. But Arabs in Israeli society are represented everywhere in academia and medicine 
medicine, you know, high finance, uh, high tech. Everywhere you look, Arabs are, are all there. They have by far, by far the highest standard of living of any Arab in the in the entire region. Uh, and on the contrary, in the Palestinian Authority controlled lands in the West Bank itself, you know, if you want to talk about apartheid, they are the ones who have something much more closely resembling anti-Jewish apartheid. Mm-hmm. If you are a landowner, if you are a landowner in Janine, Hebron, in one of these Palestinian cities in Judea and Samaria or the West Bank, and you sell land to a Jew, do you know, do you know what the penalty is, Ali? Death penalty. You can literally give the death penalty simply for selling a piece of property, for loaning money, something like that, to a Jew. That sounds a heck of a lot like a more like apartheid to me than an Arab getting on the floor of the Knesset in Jerusalem and calling for the destruction of the very state that is giving that person his freedom of speech. Okay, another pause to tell you guys about Operation Christmas Child. If you're like me, you grew up creating these little boxes, maybe at school or maybe at church, Operation Christmas Child. They they look like this if you're watching on YouTube, and uh, you fill it with non-perishable items, maybe toys, maybe socks, maybe uh, a toothbrush, all kinds of things, and then you drop it off at a drop-off location, and then Samaritan's Purse takes these boxes, and they deliver them to kids uh, around the world that don't get to experience the joy of Christmas, that never get gifts, and really need a lot of the items that we are packing in these boxes. So you can choose what age group you want to give to, whether it's a little baby, toddler, or an older kid, and then you fill the box with things uh, according to the age group and the gender that you choose. And then if you go to SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC, you'll see the drop-off locations near you where you can take your box. It doesn't have to be this fancy uh, Samaritan's Purse box. You can just get a shoe box or a clear plastic bin that you can get anywhere, fill it with the stuff, and online it'll tell you the guidelines for things to fill it with. Or you can just fill out a box online. They'll create the box for you once you purchase the items through their website and send it for you. There are lots of ways to give, but go to SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC to learn more about it. SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC. I think a lot of people don't realize that 18% of the Israeli population is Muslim. And they've got about 2% Christians. I mean, if you look at what they call Palestine, I mean, it's just not the same. You don't have the same breakdown. I think that there are maybe a total of 700, last I heard, 700 Christians that are able to live in that region there. And of course, there uh, many of them are there because of missionaries that went there risking their lives to go there. Uh, most people understand that the Muslim world is not tolerant of other faiths. Um, and yet, for some reason, uh, the Jewish state, Israel, is deemed the oppressor, deemed the colonizer. Um, so you mentioned that really the only way that this is going to end is if Israel wins and they're begging for peace. Um, some people are going to take issue with that statement. And they've seen images, they've seen videos that really disturbed them. They've heard allegations about what Israel is doing that has really disturbed them. And one of those allegations is that Israel is bombing apartment buildings, that they're bombing indiscriminately. Indiscriminately is a word that I keep seeing. They're bombing hospitals. That was the big that was the big story a couple of weeks ago that they bombed a hospital and all of this footage came out. And so a lot of people are saying, wow, why don't you care about all the Palestinians that are dying because uh, because of what Israel is doing indiscriminately just bombing Palestine into non-existence? What do you say that to that? So first of all, the the hospital incident, just, just because I know your audience has you know been offline uh, for some of the past month or so, that the, the hospital incident ended up being a massive blood libel in and of itself, right? I mean, we actually soon found out that that rocket came not from Israel, but from Palestinian Islamic Jihad, which is an Iran-funded jihadist outfit in Gaza that's something of a rival of sorts to Hamas. And then the rocket actually didn't even hit the hospital. It hit a parking lot next to the hospital. I, I think I saw under 50 people died. As, I think it literally might have been single digits um, as compared to, to the initial number of over 500. So that ended up just being total and complete blood libel. Rashida Tlaib, by the way, last time I checked, has not renounced her condemnation of the IDF for that particular assault. Mm. More, more generally speaking here, you know, it's important for the audience to understand what Hamas actually does when it comes to fighting this war. Hamas has the most cynical strategy that any organization has ever devised when it comes to fighting wars. 
they keep their own people locked into Gaza. We, we saw footage earlier this month or at the end of last month of Hamas bombing the literal roadways, preventing people from fleeing from northern Gaza to southern Gaza, keeping them in northern Gaza so that they will so that they will be more useful cannon fodder for the IDF, thus ginning up more outrage in the eyes of the world. Earlier this week, you know, I saw the IDF was able to secure a humanitarian corridor of innocent Gazans going from northern Gaza to southern Gaza. Who do you think Israel was maintaining that humanitarian corridor against? Against Hamas, against Hamas's own snipers and bombers who are trying to keep them locked there into northern Gaza. More than that, what Hamas does, and, and they've been doing this for a very long time now, since they took over in 2007, they put all of their weaponry in the most sensitive civilian areas imaginable. They put they put the rocket launchers inside of mosques, inside of day schools, inside of United Nations, UNRWA schools, supermarkets. I mean, they put them where civilians are living. Hamas intersperses itself all throughout Gaza with the entire intent of making it essentially impossible for Israel to go about doing its job and destroying legitimate military targets without some level of collateral damage. Now, the IDF goes above and beyond to warn people to get out. They started this strategy about a decade ago or so where they dropped these leaflets from the planes, essentially saying you have X number of hours to get out. There is Hamas infrastructure here. This building is going to be eradicated. Follow our close instructions. Do not listen to Hamas because they will tell you to stay because they want need to die. So they've been doing this for a long time. It undermines Israel's own military objectives, by the way. It hamstrings their own military efficiency to, to give them that kind of heads up, but they do it anyway. So, you, you know, the Western world, I think, fails to understand this. And when Hamas acts like this, when there are when there is collateral damage and there's always going to be collateral damage in war, it's a tragedy of war, obviously. When there is collateral damage and Hamas is acting like this, these civilian casualties are the result of Hamas. Hamas is the one to blame for it. And, uh, you know, I guess, I guess just one final thing that, that I'll say on this. No one, look, you and I are both pro-life. We believe in the in the, in the inherent moral dignity of, of every human being. It's, a, it's an issue I've been very passionate on. On the other, I, I, on the other hand, historically speaking, when there is a war, and war is terrible, it's one of the many reasons war should always be avoided. But when there is a war, you know, this notion that the country that is defending itself has to go this far above and beyond to minimize any kind of collateral damage ever is a very kind of modern thing in kind of liberal modern warfare. When the United States responded to Pearl Harbor with the Doolittle raid in Tokyo, bombing Tokyo, when there was the carpet bombing of Dresden, Germany in 1945, you know, this notion that we would be kind of going building by building, kind of microscopically looking for civilian damage and proportionality, it's a very kind of modern way of approaching war and not necessarily always a good thing. But again, nonetheless, Israel just goes above and beyond, beyond what international law requires it to do to try to minimize civilian casualties. And those inevitable casualties are ultimately, legally speaking, at the hands of Hamas. Yeah. Wow. I mean, there's just such a there's such a war against propaganda I hear, I think, <clears throat> here in the US. And a lot of people just not knowing what to believe. And also with the addition of AI, I've seen a few of the images that have been yeah. put out by um, you know, pro-Palestinian people here that have been clearly AI. When you look closely, you can see that the hands and the feet are computer generated. I saw one of this child that looked like he had just survived a bombing with his dead mother laying there and he's holding his hand up and he's wearing a Palestinian flag on his shirt. But when you look closely, he actually has six fingers because one of the weird things about artificial intelligence is that they can't get hands and hands and feet correct and so um there's a there's a lot of scary misinformation out there um that i think is leaving a lot of people to say well i just don't know i just don't know what to think i don't know who to follow i don't know what to listen to and so i'm just not going to care so tell me like who, who do you think that people should be going to for real information if they want to know more about the history if they really want to know what's going on there and if they're really looking to say okay what's the solution to this what what should happen next? Like, where should they go to find that information? Well, I mean, there's any number of individuals who have been putting out a lot of very good content. Um, you know, there's one woman, I think she's ex-NYPD, uh, who, who writes, I think, for the, for the New York Post. She's actually written for Newsweek as well. Uh, Yael Barter, she has a fantastic Twitter feed. A lot of like individuals like that come immediately to mind. Liel Leibovitz, who's a friend of mine, he writes for Tablet Magazine. He has been absolutely prolific. 
since this conflict started, he put together this whole website essentially of, of survivors of October 7th, basically just just go in there to like hear their their first person tales. Um, you know, Trey Yanks, who is Fox News, is on the ground reporter there in southern Israel, I think has been doing amazing work over the past month. I mean, he's literally there on the ground. He's reporting right there live from from where it's all happening. Uh, Eugene Kantarovich is a friend of mine. He's, he's, he's a legal scholar who can explain all the nuances of so-called occupation, of so-called apartheid, of international law of conflict when it comes to what you and I were just talking about in Gaza. His Twitter feed is an absolute must follow. Eugene has also written numerous op-eds for The Wall Street Journal over the past month there. Um, and, you know, shameless plug. I mean, I've been writing and, and, and podcasting a lot about this topic as well yeah. there, obviously. I'm, you know, I'm Josh underscore Hammer on X. Um, I, I've written a bunch of columns about this. I'll have a new column out probably tomorrow morning on this exact topic there. But no shortage of good information. You kind of just have to know where to look. As you say, it can be difficult sometimes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Josh. I really appreciate you coming on and um, giving your commentary as always. Allie, thanks so much. Okay, last sponsor for the day, and that is Birch Gold. It's really important to protect your savings by diversifying into gold with the help of Birch Gold. When you open a gold IRA for every $10,000 that you spend by December 22nd, Birch Gold will send you a free gold bar. Just text Allie to 989-898 to claim eligibility before Black Friday. Birch Gold can help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a gold IRA for no money out of pocket, and you still get the free gold bars. Text Allie to 989-898, receive a free info kit, no obligation on gold text alley to 989-898. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening and for watching this week. This has been a great week of shows and I just appreciate your encouragement and your support so much. Uh, next week is pretty much wide open. So let me know what you want to talk about. I, there was a lot of things I wanted to talk about this week that I didn't get to talk about. Um, because we were talking about other things. So a lot of things I wanted to talk about that maybe we'll discuss next week. But let me know. Let me know what you want me to discuss. So before we head out, I want to tell you something uh, that you need to go to theblaze.com slash subscribe to uh, check out this video series called The Truth About January 6th. And this is like never heard before stuff about the behind the scenes of what was going on before, during, and after January 6th really, really crazy and mind-blowing stuff. We have all these kinds of stories and series and exclusive content on theblaze.com. Just go to theblaze.com slash subscribe. You can see these stories for yourself, theblaze.com slash subscribe. All right, that's all I got for you today and this week, and I will see you back here on Monday. Monday.